This is the How to Flourish Online podcast. So let's get into it. So hello and welcome to episode number three. So today I thought I'd share a personal experience of why I feel so passionate about the online space and what it can do for women. And it all began around the time I worked out I was a feminist living in a really male-dominated society in country Australia. But all that stuff is actually a story for another day. <laughs> this one really came to a head on December 3rd, 2008. And I remember that date very clearly because it was in the bewildering moments after having my first child that I was lying on a hospital bed there in Stockholm, Sweden, and kind of had a really big light bulb moment. A few years prior to that, I'd met a dude in a Thai bar and left my corporate marketing gig to follow him to Sweden with nothing but a suitcase and around about $1,500. And for those of you listening who aren't Australian, $1,500 is around about 30 US dollars. <laughs> no, not really. It's around about 1000 US dollars. So it's not a lot of money to move countries with. However, it seemed like a good idea at the time and I was young and in retrospect, it was the best idea, though not an easy one. So my job prior was at a Sydney project management agency for property and as the only marketing staff member and maybe one of eight women in a team of 30 to 40 men, I really hated it. It was a really blokey workplace and while there were some great perks like boozy yum cha lunches on a Friday and a cubicle with amazing views of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, it was a really patriarchal environment. At just 24, I was a marketing assistant with a business card that said National Marketing Manager because my 40-year-old male boss wanted me to have more clout with the other men in the other state branches. I remember one day asking for his advice and I don't know what I was asking about now, maybe how to handle one of the grumbling older men from another state branch who was making my life hard. But I do remember what he said though. He came into my cubicle, put his leg up on my desk so his crotch was eye level and about 40 centimetres from my face and delivered this gem. You've got to learn to swing your dick the way the client wants it. Yeah, I kid you not. So obviously I'm horrified and extremely uncomfortable about having been cornered in my cubicle this way. I stood up to get out of the firing line and muttered reply along the lines of, well, I don't have one of those. Do you have any other useful advice? And that was kind of the end of that for the moment. But that sowed the seed for me thinking I have to start thinking about moving on and what I'm going to do next. And in the following months, I took a month off to go traveling in Thailand which is where I met my now husband. And I was working in a job I didn't love and that I was overqualified for. But in reality, I'd moved to another country and didn't speak the language. So I was actually pretty lucky to be able to find work at all. And it was a fun job. But I was seriously struggling with life in a different culture. I was isolated from friends and family and having just been through a pregnancy, feeling that isolation. And quite frankly, I was traumatized by what I'd just been through for the previous 14 hours. So just thinking about that birth experience still makes me feel weak at the knees, actually, that the confusion of not knowing what was happening as it was my first child, I wasn't able to understand what the staff was saying, and I felt completely overwhelmed. I remember looking at my partner, actually, I'm getting a bit teary just thinking about it. I looked at him at some stage, I couldn't understand what any of the midwives were saying and they were speaking to each other and not to me. 
and I didn't know if things were going well, if this was normal. And I also couldn't kind of vocalize because I was in the middle of giving birth. My communication skills just left the building, you know. And I remember looking at my partner crying and I just said to him, help me. So, yeah, it was a really difficult experience. And I remember in the moments after when everyone's left the room and it's just me and my partner and and my partner was actually holding Lily at the time. And I just kind of sat in the chair in this stillness and just kind of like this, what the actual F just happened and thought, wow, if women can do that, women can do anything. And I decided at that moment that I was going to change my life and that no one would ever tell me what to do ever again. (laughs) So uh, I know that after some people give birth, they have this overwhelming sense of there must be a God and there's a whole, there's a reason that, you know, that all of this happens. And for me, it was completely the opposite. All I could feel was I'm a freaking animal. (laughs) So in that moment there, I was so overcome by the incredible thing that I had just done. And this awareness of the power that I had as a person for making it through that and doing it, that it was almost like I woke up from this conditioning that I'd had in my life previously. So which kind of ties back to this growing up in country Australia and this kind of patriarchal society that is really prevalent in Australia. So Even though I identified as a feminist, I had been conditioned to believe that I was weaker or less important or, you know, not able to speak up or to be strong. When in fact, and I and every other woman like me was a warrior, we just needed to stop being pushed into these roles of submission and subservience. So it was a real turning point. And even though I'd always identified as as being a feminist, because who wouldn't want men and women to be of equal standing, right? This was the first time that I really, really felt it. And I felt, I felt at the outrage that came with it too. So in the months and years that followed, I unfortunately didn't retain this feeling of power and awesomeness. I actually fell pretty hard into postnatal depression and things got pretty dark. In those early years of motherhood, I have never felt so alone and displaced. The feeding and the general baby things was easy, although my baby didn't sleep. (laughs) The hard part was that I was having an existential crisis and I didn't know who to turn to or what to do. And because let's be honest, it's a bit awkward admitting to your mother's group who are talking about solid food and sleep schedules and prams that, you know, your problem for the week was that you didn't think you wanted to be a mother and you didn't know who you were anymore. So I really needed a therapist. (laughs) Oh boy, did I need one. But we were as broke AF and my options in Sweden for therapy in English were extremely limited. Plus back in 2008, the whole social media world was yet to take off. So we were making do with clunky versions of MSN Messenger and forums and Facebook was only really new. 
I eventually found a therapist who offered therapy in English and I saw her a few times. But as anyone who's been to therapy knows, it can take a few sessions to really click and in some cases you just don't and that was the case in this instance. So I continued on in my groggy, depressed state and I did the best that I could, but gosh, I was not a fun person to be around at that time. And at the time, I truly believed that moving to Sweden and having kids had destroyed my chances of having a meaningful career and I was distraught. My uni friends were all kicking massive career goals and doing really cool stuff and traveling. And here I was, the first out of any of us to have children, and I was struggling to read my mail book my kid in to see a doctor or to get my career on back by taking design classes in Swedish. Two years later, I fell pregnant with my second child and I'll be honest with you, like my mental state hadn't really improved. I spoke to my partner and basically demanded that we move back to Australia once the baby was born and luckily he was on board with that. So when Oscar was four months old, we did we arrived back in Australia just completely broken, even more so after having a second child actually and having just been through the process of selling a house and moving continents with two children, a newborn and a toddler. And, you know, my relationship with my partner was in tatters and my carefree 20-something days were over. I had a new city and, and a new country to navigate as a mother. So this is a really long story, but it has a really important point. This was only 12 years ago, and yet so much has changed about the way services and businesses and education runs online. So if I was to move today to a different country and needed therapy or needed to retrain, there are so many more options. I could have online sessions. Options for online learning are just limitless now. And here's the thing. Women everywhere are experiencing the existential crisis that I went through, and There are women out there supporting other women through it. I mean, these days we even work with two clients that specialize in this kind of, in this thing known as matrescence. In particular, if this is resonating with you, look up the work of Amy Taylor Cabaz, who we're working with at the moment. So the opening up of the internet and the flexibility we have now in terms of business models and service delivery allows us to reach the people who really need us and we can find the people that we need. I wouldn't undo my experience as it's made me who I am now, but I will absolutely do anything in my power to help women reach the people that they need to reach through their work. And this is why I'm so passionate about the online space, because I just feel it is, it has opened the gates of opportunity for women in a way that we have not had before. So if you're listening to this and you're able to deliver your service online and you aren't already I strongly encourage you to include this as an option for your clients. And in this pandemic life we're all living right now, it's just good business sense. But there's also a social sense to it as well. And that there is probably a desperate woman out there looking for what you have. And she might not be as desperate as I was. But my message here is that there are people out there who need what you do and what you have. On the same point, if you're feeling shy or nervous about marketing or creating content to let that desperate woman know you exist, it's time to do it anyway, because this isn't about you. It's about your client who needs you, and she can only find you if you're online and if you're active online. So here's my challenge to you. 
Get over your fear and the social conditioning telling you not to make a noise or stand out. Push aside your feelings about the lines on your face or the rolls around your tummy. Stop worrying about what your family members or college friends think and decide to share your message and your skills. Let yourself shine and let the woman who needs you right now find you. I'm glad I found you and I look forward to connecting with you again. If this episode brought up anything for you, I'm going to add the links to Amy Taylor Kabaz and other women who are helping women in this area. And until next time, I wish you play, courage and freedom. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the How to Flourish Online podcast with me, Alyssa Nagel. For a full recap of this show or for more info on how to grow your own flourishing business, check out our website, flourishonline.com.au. And if you like this episode, show me some love, baby. Give us a rating and comment over on iTunes to help me reach more women in online business. See you next time.